You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. We are in the fourth week of our series where we are going verse by verse through the book of James. Uh, and if you're a part of Rev Church, you know that going verse by verse through books of the Bible is what we regularly do. But if you're new to Rev Church, this is your first time, you've just been coming a while, or you're joining us online, what we like to do about 90% of the time is go verse by verse through books of the Bible. We feel like that's the best way for us to study Scripture together. Uh, also, it forces us to do one thing and keeps us from doing another thing. It forces us to deal with passages of Scripture and verses of Scripture that are very difficult, that tend to be avoided, that may clash with culture, the ones that maybe we don't like. And secondly, it keeps us from from abusing certain subjects, getting on a soapbox, so to speak, and talking about things too much. This is why we go verse by verse through books of the Bible. Today, uh, we're going to be in James chapter 2, and we're going to take a look at verses 1 through 13. Before we get going, though, I'd like to tell you a story. There was a homeless man uh, that showed up at a church one Sunday that was known to be the uppity church in town. As he walked in, the usher stopped him before he came into the sanctuary and said, what are you doing here? They saw his dirty clothes, his matted hair, and said, what are you doing here? He said, well, I was praying, and I asked the Lord where I should go to church, and he told me to come here. They looked at him and said, well, you don't need to come in here today, and we think you need to go home, and you need to do some more praying about whether or not you're supposed to come to this church. Well, the homeless man said, all right. He left, didn't go to church that day, came back the next week, same usher stopped him. What are you doing back here? We told you to go home and pray. Didn't God give you a different answer? He said, well, I prayed this week and I asked God, where should I go to church? Said it seemed like that one church didn't want me to come. And he told me, he said, don't worry, keep trying because I've been trying to get into that church for years too and still hadn't got in. (laughs) James chapter 2 verses 1 through 13 deals with situations like that. I can remember uh, when I went to college, I got my degree from Johnson Bible College in Knoxville. And if I'm being honest with you, the reason I went to Johnson Bible College is because I had been to several colleges. I went to Chattanooga State. I went to Roan State. I went to Pellissippi in Knoxville. And uh, Johnson Bible College was going to accept all of my credits. If I'd went to another university, I was going to lose like 20 or 30 hours of my credits. So there's a hack for you guys. If you got credits that a university won't take, just go to a Christian school. They'll take anything, right? And so so they took all my credits, and I went to Johnson Bible College and, of course, ended up doing what I was all the sovereignty of God. But, but when I went to Johnson Bible College, I had to do an internship. I was supposed to do an internship with a church or a Christian para-organization. Well, I went to the church that I was attending at the time and begged them. I remember meeting with one of the pastors and saying, hey, man, I'll do anything. If you want me to clean the bathrooms, whatever, I need to do this internship for school, and I just really want to serve. It became very apparent to me very quickly that they weren't interested in me doing anything with them. Maybe I'm paranoid, but it seemed like I was being discriminated against because my last name wasn't the proper pedigree. I didn't have a church that was a founding family of the church that gave a whole bunch of money. I'd been a Christian just for about five or six years, and and they didn't want anything to do with me. And the reason I really believe that's true is because 
after I'd been in full-time ministry for about five or six years, right before we started Revolution Church, the same church reached out to me and wanted to hire me. And I thought to myself, why did you not want me then, but you want me now? Oh, I know why. Because you think I'm somewhat successful in ministry and I can benefit you now, but you didn't see any benefit in allowing me to do that then. Many of us could sit here and talk about all kinds of stories like this where we were treated different, treated badly, treated better than we should have been for whatever reason based off background and based off our standing in the world. In James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, James is dealing with situations like this. He's dealing with what we call favoritism. Maybe we call it prejudice in our context. I like to call it snobbery. In fact, if I was going to give a, a title to this sermon, it would be the sin of snobbery. So let's look at verses 1 through 13. Let's stop along the way. We're going to start in verse 1. Are y'all with me? Say, I am. It starts like this. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. The reason I would call this sermon the sin of snobbery is because if you look at J.B. Phillips' New Testament translation of verse 1, he reinterprets that verse like this. Don't ever attempt, my brothers, to combine snobbery with faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Continues in verse 2. It says, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? James says in these first few verses, essentially that faith in Christ and favoritism are incompatible. Faith in Christ and showing prejudice towards people for whatever reason are incompatible. Faith in Christ, and, and maybe you've heard it this way in the New Testament, we're going to read some verses today that use this word. Faith in Christ and partiality are incompatible. Faith in Christ and snobbery are completely incompatible. It's important to note that in the first verse, we recognize that James is actually addressing Christians when he writes this. These aren't lost people that are struggling with prejudice and favoritism. These are Christians. In other words, the issue is not who they trust. James addresses them as brothers and sisters, and then he says, in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. This is some of the strongest, most exalted language in the New Testament. So what James is pointing out is, your theology is right. You've got Jesus right. Your theology is on point, but your love for people is wrong. Favoritism, that word in the Greek, actually this is what it means. The actual definition means receiving the face. Receiving the outward appearance of someone, no matter what they look like. In other words, James is saying, your church is struggling, and every church struggles with this. Every Christian struggles with this. You're struggling with judging the book by its cover when people walk in to your church. This is something you see all throughout the New Testament. If you remember when we went through the book of Acts in Acts chapter 10, Peter dealt with this when he said, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. It's the same word. 
In Samuel, you remember when King David was chosen in the Old Testament to be the king of Israel. His dad tried to get all of his brothers to be chosen by the prophet to be king because they were bigger, they were stronger, they were more handsome. And, and at one point, the prophet says this in 1 Samuel 16, 7. He's looking at one of David's brothers and he says, don't look at his appearance or how tall he is because I have rejected him. God does not see as humans see. Humans look at outward appearances, but the Lord looks into the heart. Jesus himself was even quoted as saying this in Luke 6. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. He gives no, no attention. At no point does Jesus say, based on the outward appearance or the worldly measure of a person, that's what shows what's really going on. It's all about the inside. God looks at the inside and James is saying, you should be striving for the mind of Christ and you should not judge people based on outward appearances. James is saying that one of the best tests of the maturity of your faith is how you treat other people, especially those that don't look anything like you do. If you're a true Christian, the way you treat people should be a testament of God's love, of God's mercy, and of God's grace. Because see, appearances can be deceiving. And what you see on the outside doesn't always reveal what's on the inside. We know that outward qualities are by definition superficial. And James is saying, listen, don't judge people based on the outside. God cares about the inside. On Sundays, when I get done with church, I'm usually exhausted, y'all. And I don't know, y'all may have to stand me up here with a cane or something when we go to four services. I don't know what I'm going to do, but but I'm so tired uh, that I usually treat myself after. And on the way home, I get a cheat meal. And uh, one of the things that I regularly get on the way home is donuts. We got to keep you all honest. We ain't talked about donuts in a while, and it's important, okay? It's important to your spiritual health, your physical health, and several things, okay? Your mental health and your emotional health, right? And so, so one of the things I get regularly is donuts, and I usually stop at Speedway or Weigel's because, you know, the big donut shops are usually closed on Sunday in Crossville, so I'll stop at Speedway or Weigel's because other than those shops, I think they've got the best donuts in town. And uh, my favorite donut that I like to get, if they're not out of it, is a maple-glazed Long John from Weigel's or a maple-glazed cinnamon bun from Weigel's. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Everybody say amen, okay? Can we say amen for donuts this weekend at least? Amen, you know what I mean? And so, but my second favorite, and actually my wife's favorite, she doesn't like the maple, this is her favorite, and this is my second favorite donut, is a chocolate-covered Long John that is filled with white cream. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Everybody say, I see hands going up all over the sanctuary. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for white cream. It's basically cake frosting, right? And and chocolate-covered donuts. Y'all going to be hungry. This is just the second service. Y'all going to be starving by the time we leave. Should have bought stocking donuts, right? So, Well, sometimes when we go regularly, we will go and we will buy chocolate-covered long johns that are cream-filled, and we get home, and we take a bite of that cream-filled long john, and it's not white cream in the middle. It's yellow 
Bavarian cream. Get thee behind me, Satan. Amen, y'all? Bavarian cream? Does anybody in here like Bavarian cream? Raise your hand. Lord, I pray for these people. I pray that they are delivered and that they get right with you. In our house, we don't mess with no Bavarian cream. Give us the white cream. You know what I mean? We got to be careful that on the way home, what looks like a chocolate-covered long john with white cream in the middle can actually be deceiving. And it looks like a chocolate-covered long john with white cream, but it's actually got Bavarian cream in the middle. James is saying, you guys are welcoming chocolate-covered long johns into your church. And what you don't realize is they're full of Bavarian cream. You guys are welcoming chocolate-covered long johns into your church that you're treating like they have Bavarian cream in them, but they actually have really good things inside them. They don't look like it on the outside, but on the inside. Do y'all get it? Everybody say amen. He says, you got to be really careful. Keep in mind that last week we just finished up chapter 1 of James. And one of the last things that James says in chapter 1, if you remember, he gives us three clear attributes that Christians have and, and works that will come out of them when they really do receive Jesus. And one of those was you'll care for widows and orphans. Pure and undefiled religion is to care for those marginalized people, the people that no one wants anything to do with. They're a hassle. They're the ones that are going to cost you time, cost you money, cost you resources. Love on widows and orphans. And now he comes right back and says, don't show favoritism. Don't be prejudiced towards people for whatever reason. Don't, don't look at someone and based off the outward appearance, treat them different in any way, shape, or form. He gives us in these first few verses this example of favoritism that we can all relate to, right? He talks about when a wealthy person comes into your church and a poor person comes into your church. He gives this example. You know, a rich guy comes in and you guys are offering him the best seat in the house. You're, you're treating him like a king, but a poor person's coming in for our purposes today, like a homeless person's coming in and you guys aren't doing anything for him. You're not treating him, welcoming him at all. Now let's get some things straight. James is not saying that the church should have no wealthy people. James is also not saying that wealthy people are not worth trying to reach. What James is saying is that you're looking at people in the church and you're looking at someone that's worth more to the world and you're thinking to yourself, they must be worth more to the church because they're worth more to the world. Conversely, you're looking at someone that's not worth very much to the world and you're thinking to yourself, well, they can't be worth that much to the church. And what ends up happening when you do that is you end up judging a person's soul as more valuable than another's based on worldly things. James is saying, no, no, no. No matter what your standing in the world is, and everybody in here needs to hear this. Everybody online needs to hear this. No matter what your past is, no matter what sin you've struggled with, no matter what haunts you, no matter what it is you've struggled through, the ground is even at the foot of the cross and everyone should be welcomed and loved by the church that Jesus put in place. I don't care what you've been through in here. I don't care what it is you struggle with in here. 
We are so glad you are here at Revolution Church. Think about this example that James gives us. We can totally relate to it, right? Let's imagine for a second a couple different scenarios and how it would be different at Revolution Church, how it would be different at any church in Crossville, Tennessee. Let's say that by chance one weekend, the head football coach of the Tennessee Volunteers, Josh Heupel, shows up to Revolution Church with his wife to worship with us. How would you react? How would the church react? How would our town react? You think they've been talking about us the last couple of weeks, man. If Josh Heupel showed up here, we'd be all over social media. Y'all know what I'm saying? Everybody'd be asking about it. Everybody'd be talking about it. You would break your necks in order to try to get a selfie with Josh Heupel so that you could put it on Instagram or social media. Well, what would happen if a homeless person walked in off the street? I mean, let's just be real. Would we be as excited? Would you break your neck in order to make them feel welcome and try to get them to come back the next week? Even if we're Christians, we struggle with this because the answer is you talk way more about Josh Heupel than you would the homeless person. Every one of us would. Let's say that Mark Cuban, right? Mark Cuban, everybody knows who Mark Cuban is? Raise your hand, okay? He owns the Dallas Mavericks. He's on Shark Tank. He's a celebrity billionaire. Let's say by chance he comes to Crossville, Tennessee for some reason. He comes to our church. He gets radically saved and decides to buy a home here. I don't know if it's in Fairfield. I don't know if it's in Tansy. We can talk about that later. But uh, he, he buys a home here, right? And starts spinning. He makes Revolution Church his church. How tempted would we be to say, thank goodness, we got Mark Cuban. We're buying a movie theater and we need three million more dollars to pay cash for that thing. Pastor, you better set up a special meeting with him and see if he'll make a donation. Versus the single mom that comes in, barely making it, got three kids, driving us nuts in the kids' ministry. And that's not a knock on single mom's kids. All y'all's kids drive us nuts in the kids' ministry, okay? All y'all, okay? Would we treat him different than we treat her? It'd be really hard not to, wouldn't it, y'all? It'd be really hard not to show favoritism. This is what James is addressing. Sam Albrey and his commentary on this verse of Scripture and this these few verses says this, churches need to take great care not to think of a wealthy unbeliever as being more important or worthy of ministry than a poor unbeliever or to make a great fuss over someone important and powerful that we would never, that we would never make a fuss over, would never make over someone who is marginal, sorry, or to be far more excited about a celebrity coming into church one day than a homeless person. He says, be really careful. After he gives this command to the church and says, hey, don't show favoritism, then he gives us three reasons why we don't show favoritism. Three clear reasons in the next few verses. He gives a theological reason that absolutely applies to us. He gives a logical reason that doesn't apply to us really right now, but it could one day and it applied to this particular church. And then he gives a biblical reason. Listen to the theological reason in verse 5. He says, listen. My dear brothers and sisters, 
Has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? He says, here's your theological reason for why you don't show favoritism. Because one day we're all going to be dead. And brothers and sisters in Christ, we all have the exact same inheritance. We're all going to heaven. We're all citizens of heaven. We're all going to be a part of the kingdom of God. So, so the, the theological reason is, again, the ground is even at the foot of the cross. What we all have to look forward to is heaven. Therefore, all of us are rich. Every one of us are wealthy in spiritual things. Does that make sense, Rep. Church? Everybody say amen. I heard about this story about a guy named John Harper. He was a pastor that was on the Titanic. And he was going from England and actually heading to Chicago to preach at one of the largest churches in the world, Moody Bible College. And uh, when the Titanic started to sink, he started running around the Titanic telling people to get saved. He was a widower, so he had a small daughter, and they let him and his daughter on one of the lifeboats. Well, as he saw people out in the water freezing to death, he actually looked at his daughter, said, I love you, jumped over the side of the boat. This has been verified by several witnesses and swam to people repeating, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. There was a man who was on a piece of furniture and he actually ended up living. Well, John Harper takes off his life jacket to give to this man so that he could survive, repeats, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. This guy gets saved as he's on this piece of furniture. John Harper has hypothermia that's taking him over, and he was quoted as saying this. He was quoted as saying, I'm not going down, I'm going up. We don't go down, we go up. This is what James is pointing out. The theological reason we don't show favoritism is because all of us are loaded when it comes to spiritual things because we know Christ. Secondly, he gives this logical reason in verses 6 through 7, listen to what he says. But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? In the first century church, it was comprised, we see this in the Corinthians when he talks about how God uses foolish things of the world and people that don't have a lot in the world to grow his church. But it was comprised of mostly poor people. And the reason is, is because the rich and powerful people in the early church were the ones mainly that were persecuting the church. The rich and powerful people were the ones that were blaspheming Christ's name over and over. And so the logical reason that James gives is, these are the people that absolutely hate you. Why are you treating them better than the people that are actually for you that are in the family of faith, so to speak? We've seen this in American Christianity in the last roughly five to ten years. We've seen whole denominations, we've seen churches change their stance to completely anti-biblical stance on things like marriage, uh, abortion, uh, homosexuality, all these things. And I don't say that to offend anybody. We just believe the Bible here at this church. But, but there's been whole denominations that have changed what they believe, and they don't even believe the Scriptures anymore. And it's not because of some great Scripture or, or, or revelation that God has given them. It's purely so they can rise up in social standing. It's purely so the world looks at them and accepts them more. James is saying, 
You might say you're doing this so lost people can get saved. You want these rich people to get saved, but you're really doing it so the world accepts you and you can bump up in social standing. Does that make sense to everybody? Say amen. He says, logically, that makes absolutely no sense. Thirdly, he gives a biblical reason. He says this in verses 8 through 11, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. There's, there's the kicker. There's the phrase. Love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. I love that. In verse 10, that is some very rich theology right there. Let me read that again. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. This is why on our doors, our slogan says, no perfect people allowed. Everybody say that with me. No perfect people allowed. Because if you're sitting in here, there ain't no way you're perfect. Hey, the prostitute is just as sinful as the guy who tells the little white lie and vice versa. Everyone, if you broke one, you may as well broke them all. That's what that verse says. Now, there's different consequences for sins. The prostitute may have different consequences in her life or his life for that sin versus a little white lie. But in God's eyes, every sin is sin. And if you do one of the small ones, so to speak, you may as well have done them all. Verse 11, he says, For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. So James repeats Leviticus chapter 19. He repeats the verses of Scripture that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 19. When he asked somebody asked him, what's the greatest of, com- of the commands? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And secondly, just as important is to love your neighbor as yourself. He repeats what we call the golden rule. He says, here's the biblical reason you do this, because we're called to love everybody. We're called to welcome everybody. We're called to break our necks to greet the homeless person and the rich person. We're called to pray that everyone gets involved in a church. Everyone comes to faith in Christ. Love your neighbor as yourself. All throughout the New Testament, y'all, we see that this is a struggle because the golden rule is repeated over and over. In Romans chapter 13, verse 9, listen to what it says. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Guess what that command is? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. The book of Galatians, we went through it a couple years ago. We really Talk about legalism. Guess what? That church was struggling with showing favoritism. Listen to what chapter 5, verse 14, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. The biblical reason that we don't show favoritism is we're supposed to love everybody. We love all of our neighbors as ourselves. Let's pick it up in verse 12. Y'all still with me? Say, I am. Let's close this passage down. Verse 12 says this. Is this good stuff, y'all? Is this applicational for 2023 with all the junk we're dealing with, man? I think social media has really like exacerbated this issue of not liking people and 
in Crossville, we've got our own forms of prejudice and things like that. I grew up in the inner city in Knoxville and prejudice is prejudice, hate is hate up here. It's like, you know, where are you at? Where are you from in the country? Are you from Fairfield or local? And we've got all these weird prejudices. So, so good. How we vote, all these different things. It says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. For the second time in the book of James, I just want to point this out. The commands that are found in the Bible are referred to as the law that gives freedom. If you're here this weekend and you're searching for freedom, you're not looking for a sermon by Josh Cardwell. You're not looking for dead religion. You know, you're seeing that what we do is very similar to the kind of the, the dance you've been through before in churches. I would encourage you to understand that freedom comes from getting in God's word and doing the best you can to follow what he says. In the coming weeks, we're going we're gonna to get specific about how freedom comes because he gives some very specific things on how you can find freedom. That's what we want people to do. We want people to know Jesus. And our second value is we want people to find freedom. Amen, Rev Church? Because Jesus came to set the captives free. So yeah, we want you to get saved. We also want you to know that on this earth, there's a whole nother level of freedom that you can obtain through the word of God and following his commands. So speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is similar to when Jesus talked about reaping and sowing, when Jesus said things like, hey, the measure you forgive people is the measure that your Father in heaven is going to forgive you. It says something real similar right now. Like, you show people mercy, that's how much mercy you're going to get. Chuck Swindoll sums up these last two verses in this passage and says, what this tells us to do is to let Scripture be our standard. We let love be our law, and we let mercy be our message. Amen, Rev Church. James Augie says this about this entire passage of Scripture as it pertains to favoritism. He says, The church is not a select circle of the immaculate, but a home where the outcast may come in. It is not a palace with gate attendants and challenging sentinels along the entranceways, holding off at arm's length the stranger, but rather a hospital where the brokenhearted may be healed and where all the weary and troubled may find rest and take counsel together. William Temple says this about this passage as it pertains to the church. Maybe you've heard this before. The church is the only society that exists for the benefit of those who are not its members. That's powerful. In a country club consumerism culture, the church is the only thing that exists where we're not mainly concerned about us we're concerned about them. We're concerned about the people that are going to die and go to hell. We're concerned about loving our neighbors so that they can have a chance to hear the gospel and meet Jesus. Leonard Ravenhill says, the church used to be a lifeboat rescuing the perishing. Now she is a cruise ship recruiting the promising. The church is not a country club. The church is not a fashion show. Hey, if you wore some fashion today and you got your new duds on, man, am I an old man for saying duds? Do young people in here even know what duds are? Hey, you look good. You know what I'm saying? Like, good for you. It's not sinful. This church ain't a fashion show. Church isn't a political rally. That's not what we're called to do is get together and have a political rally. The church exists to spread the gospel 
and spread the good news. We're called to love everybody. Scripture is our standard, not the news, not our habits, not even how we were raised, not even what our parents taught us, right? And love is our law. So the church is not supposed to be a place where there's ageism. Are we not divided by age in this country, in the church? Most churches are one or the other. It's full of gray hairs. Y'all know what I'm saying? Like it's all gray-headed people and there's no young people and they don't want anything to do with them. Or on the, conversely, on the other side of that, a lot of churches are, I don't know, people think that our church is like all five-year-olds. It's really weird. They come, they, And then they come and they go, oh, you got some more senior people and more seasoned people. I'm like, yeah, we got all kinds of people. We're not all young people. I'm not even young. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, so it's not supposed to be all young people. We don't, we don't divide over race. I think it was Martin Luther King that said the most segregated hour, hours of the week are Sunday mornings when church is in session. We don't divide over where you're from in this country. Crossville has a lot of transplants, a lot of people that aren't from here, so we don't hate each other based off that. We don't divide over denominationalism. We're Baptist and they're, hey, I get it. God's got all kinds of different churches for different kinds of people. That's great. We don't look at each other and divide over those things. It drives me nuts, y'all. I've been to some denominational meetings. And can I be honest with you guys? Can I be honest? Everybody say amen. Okay. It drives me insane. I'm already in trouble. Nobody wants me to be a part of their denomination, so I can say this. But like, it drives me nuts because there's like no talk about Christians as a whole conquering the world and spreading the gospel. It's always Baptist. The Baptists are doing this, and the Baptists are doing that, and the Baptists like, shut up. Who cares about the Baptists? Man, we're the church as a whole. I get it. Some churches are different, and we're supposed to be different, and if we, we're not your cup of tea here, go to another church. There's 130 of them in Crossville that you can go try out, and maybe you'll like them, and God will use you, and you'll get excited. That's wonderful. Man, we don't hate each other based off denominations. It makes sense to everybody. Say amen. Y'all, one time I was in a church, and I'll close with this. Okay, I promise I'll be done after this. No joke. A guy walked in, <laughs> y'all are going to think I'm kidding, but a guy walked in with an Alabama football hat on. And the usher was like, oh, great, one of them. Oh, Alabama football fans are the worst. We got any Alabama fans in here? We're glad you're here. We're glad you're here. Amen, Rep Church? Well, let's do that again. That was a little weak, okay? Like... Amen, Rev Church. It's all right. Pastor Brandon's not in here right now, but he roots for Georgia, y'all. You know? He's the youth pastor here. People watch it online. I'm never going there now. Golly. I thought the movie theater was pretty cool, but they're a youth pastor. Those people need to get right. Well, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if people say that, but you know what I mean? Isn't it crazy the things that we divide over? And we act crazy over? And let's just be honest, every single one of us struggles with it. We make these judgments on people based on outward appearance. 
instead of doing the best we can to have the mind of Christ and considering maybe they're different on the inside. Maybe God wants to save them. Maybe I'm the one that's called to love them so that they'll meet Jesus. We don't divide. We don't divide. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for a church, God. Lord, I pray that we remember people are not going to remember a sermon that I preach or anybody on this platform preaches. People are not going to remember the incredible student ministry we do at Revolution Church. People are not going to remember the great kids ministry. And people are not going to remember this church because we bought a movie theater. People will remember this church and identify what this church is based off how we love each other. You said it. They're going to know you're my disciples by the way you love each other. They're going to know us by our love. God, I know we're going to struggle with this. I know it's going to be hard for us. I know it's hard for me. But I pray that we do the best we can to love every single person that we come in contact with in our lives, to show the love of Christ. to be your hands and feet. And that we are not guilty individually and corporately of the sin of snobbery. That we bring people into your kingdom. We don't repel them from your kingdom. Highlight those areas that we struggle. We love you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.